You know, I think we can all agree that it's very hard to be a human being, right? I mean, did you put too much paprika in the soup? Did you put enough postage on the package? Did you say the right thing to the girl? Did you really kind of like Bon Jovi in 1985? These are the things we struggle with. And we don't know how we're doing because there's no scorecard, no balance sheet, no Yelp reviews of our day-to-day lives. You get it. Now, when it comes to Stereo Embers, the podcast, sure, there are ways that we can track our audience. And by the way, I'm very pleased that every week it's bigger and bigger. Um, We read our reviews, and those have been great. But the most telling way that we know we're doing okay comes on a more personal level. You guys send me lovely emails, you write nice things on Instagram, you listen to the show week in and week out, and a few of you have sent me books you've written, music you've played on, and some of you have even sent me food that you've made, all of which I really appreciate. Sylvia, from Portland, by the way, thank you for the vegan ginger scones. I could do an entire podcast on them. Delicious. Those are the things I'm talking about. Those personal touches make all of us here at the podcast feel like we're doing a good job. Because it's clear that you care, and we are deeply, deeply grateful. There's another way we know we're doing something right, and that's when an artist we interview comes back on the show. An example of that is my guest today. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. guest today on the program, Tara Lightfoot. Let me tell you a little bit about Tara Lightfoot. Well, the Ontario-born Tara Lightfoot was on our show back in 2018, and since then, she's been quite busy. I'll catch you up on her career, but a little background is in order first. Lightfoot played in the Dinner Bells before going solo back in 2011. Since then, she's put out four albums, including her latest, which is called Consider the Speed. Along the way, she's been nominated for a Juno and the Polaris Prize. She's toured with Bruce Coburn, The Posies, Blue Rodeo, and Toe the Wet Sprocket. And she's garnered rave reviews from everyone from No Depression to Pop Matters. Now, about that new album, Consider the Speed is a powerful entry in Lightfoot's discography, filled with rootsy ballads, raging guitars, and big, crunchy pop numbers. The album is contemplative, emotionally direct, and stirring at every turn. Look, we love Tara Lightfoot, and we're so happy to have her back. Nice to know we're doing something right. Enjoy my conversation with Tara Lightfoot right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
I am an optimistic person to begin with. Okay. Like I didn't really understand uh, anxiety for a long time um, until I one time I had a panic attack on a plane and I was like, oh my God, this is what anxiety is. It's in your brain and you can't control it. And it's like nonsensical. Um, but that's my only experience with anxiety. So when the pandemic happened, I actually took it. At, I was one of the crazy people who was like, this is great. I can write songs, you know, drink great coffee at my house every morning. Um, you know, I've been, I was doing a ton of writing at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I found a lot of creative inspiration just from being able to hang out here. You know, like I never get to hang out at my own house. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, as, as time has worn on, of course, like the whole music industry, I mean, I did um, a, a show, like an online show for this venue in the UK called The Green Note in London. It's this like fantastic, legendary place. Um, and, you know, I know they're struggling. Like that scares me when a venue in London is struggling. And it's like a great one that's well supported and has amazing artists from all over the world. That's when I go, oh, okay, like this is quite intense for all of us in the music industry. Yeah, like you might come back and find there's no places to play. I mean, that's, that's a potential problem. Yeah, I mean, like, what right. are we gonna do? You right. know, like, um, yeah, that, it's definitely, so that, that's become a, a certain concern of mine for sure. Yeah, what about you? <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> I, you know, I have been remarkably calm um, I mean, I, I think I had the same reaction as you. And by the way, you are not alone. Every musician I talked to in the first few months was like, I get to be home and drink cool coffee and mm -hmm. write, just like you're saying, and do mm -hmm. things. And then a few months into it, the anxiety, that, that tone shifted. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so it doesn't answer your question about me. I'm, I'm okay, too. I feel, I feel strangely calm about it, mm -hmm. which may, maybe I shouldn't. I think that's the only way we can handle it. Like one of my tools this summer, I was so lucky to stumble upon this, but um, a sort of fan friend of mine uh, who I've known for many, many years has always bothered me to go up to this property in Muskoka, which is like a beautiful lake, you know, rocky. It's kind of like Washington. Yeah. Um, like just really gorgeous scenery. And there's an island there called Peace Island. And he was like, you can just go. Like, there's a log cabin. Like, just I'll just take you there in a boat, and then I'll just leave you there for five days. <laughs> so that happened, like, midsummer, And it was the most rejuvenating experience of my entire life. Like, just, like, swimming off the dock. No phones, no Wi-Fi, no anything. And it was exactly what I needed. So I feel very lucky because I know a lot of people didn't have that experience yeah. where they were able to travel somewhere, like, distant. Of course, the cabin was, like, super old. Like it was, it was a little intense at some times, but yeah, the swimming was worth it all. That's, well, that's... I mean, I'm glad it went well because the, the setup is the setup of an indie horror film. Oh, it actually is legitimately. Um, there was some confusion. This is a crazy story, but there was some confusion about um, the, cause it's owned by this guy who lives far away in Montreal. He's wonderful. Um, but my friend and the owner had miscommunicated about who was going to be on the island. So one night, I shit you not. Can we say shit you not? Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> Somebody showed up on the island at like midnight. And we, I was like, what, what is happening here? 
And he was like, I, I'm, I was supposed to be here. I was like honking my horn for somebody to pick me up. And we were like, what? It was a legitimate horror movie. And then in the morning, of, call, of course, we called. And it just turned out that they had told both of us that we could show up on the island. Um, but it was like mega actual, like, oh, we're going to die. Like there's a boat coming to the island like right now. And like, right. no one's here. It's midnight, like in cottage time. People are asleep. I was like asleep at like nine. So yeah, that happened. <laughs> yeah. It'd, be, it'd be funny if you said, and that man, Bruce Coburn. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> no, if, if Bruce showed up, he'd be like, yeah, no, I have this like rocket launcher. And like, is that okay? And I'd be like, no, no rocket launchers. Um, no, I love Bruce. Um, he took me after I toured with him in Canada. I texted him when I was going to be in San Francisco. And he actually took me for lunch. He's like, oh, well, let's go for lunch. Like, I'll take you to a couple of cool places. My first day in San Francisco, I'm like, cool Canadian, like pretending like I know what's up. And we're like eating lunch, chatting about all kinds of things. And I look up at the street sign and it's like hate and Ashbury. Is that not, it was the coolest thing ever. I was like, oh, I've like, I've made it to this point with one of the best guitar players ever. Right, cool. right. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because people, Bruce Carpenter is one of those people who he's always been wise. He's just one yeah. of those guys, like, if you look at his albums from the 70s, you're like, that guy knows things. Like, when you just look yeah. at him, he just has a wisdom. Yeah. Um, he's like a Leonard Cohen, like, he has that air, you know? Oh. But, yeah. you know, but you said something that I think people need to be re reminded of is that he is a brilliant guitar player. Oh, he's insane. He always used to say to me, he'd be like, well, people don't come to hear me sing. I'm like, yes, they do. Like, of course they do. Um, but yeah, he's an insane guitar player. I heard like, you know, there's the classic story, Eddie Van Halen, uh, they were interviewing him and they're like, well, who do you think is like, or how does it feel to be the best guitar player in the world? And he's like, ask Bruce Coburn. That's the story. Oh, I didn't know that story. Yeah. Which is rad. And like, you know, Eddie Van Halen's obviously a great guitar player. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Well, you, you're a great guitar player. And thank you. You are. And I... I have been talking about you for the last couple of years. I realized this morning when I, as I was thinking about this interview, every time I interview um, an artist, I go, well, Tara Lytha said it's important to learn another instrument. Because <laughs> you were telling me you were going to play cello. Remember that? <laughs> oh, my God. Also, speaking of the pandemic, um, I have a cello. Like, legitimately, it came to me, like, through some right. universe osmosis. I still suck, like, seven months into the pandemic. I haven't even taken it out. So I realized like, now, yeah, now, now I'm going to be making you say to people like, don't, don't learn another instrument, no cellos, <laughs> don't expand your, your repertoire. <laughs> Paris says the worst thing you could do is learn another instrument, like, I don't know, it's a cello. <laughs> and they'll be like, who is this crazy woman who keeps changing her tune? <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. Hello. Well, is, do you find that you are doing musical cross-training or do, are you doing other instruments or are you like, where are you with that? Yeah. I mean, I have been playing more piano for certain. Um, and that's been really fun. Like, uh, I mean, some of the new tunes, like only one song, really, I wrote on piano for the, the new record, um, Love You So. But like, generally, I write on guitar. So that I have been expanding my reach a little bit. And I've been playing that song on piano when I, uh, when I do it live. Or like live stream, my God, that's I where know. we're at. <laughs> I know. Have you have you thought? Okay, I have to live stream like 
do I have to wear something nice? Can I pull off half of it? Like, do, in other words, do you have to present yourself <clears throat> present yourself in a way that is different than you would present yourself if you were on stage? Do you have to think about that? Like, is my house clean? Is my, like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I haven't done a lot from home. Um, I'm like one of the super lucky people. I'm hooked up with a venue in Hamilton uh, where I can go and set up on the stage, which is super awesome. Yeah. Um, so that obviously I don't have to clean the stage, which I love because I, I don't want to sweep stages. That's not yeah. where I'm at. I mean, I could. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole other host of things that we have to think about. And I, I'd say the weirdest thing, and I'm sure many artists have commented on this, is the uh, lack of physical connection. Like I was reading um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, Roseanne Cash put out this amazing article about touring and how she was like, I'm done with touring. Like I said aloud to my husband on the road, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore about three months before the pandemic. And then she obviously went back on that thought and was like 50% of what we do as musicians is, you know, what we're doing. But then the other 50% is the connection and the mirror of energy from the audience. And when you don't have that, it feels so weird. Even if people are typing to you and you're like reading their messages and they're like, great song, love the lyric oh my gosh, your makeup looks great. Or like whatever they're saying in the comment section. It's still not the same as being at a live show and having somebody like smiling at you or like, you know, any, any of those normal human things that we're so used to getting. Um, yeah. It's weird. And no merch, no merch table after the show where you get to say hi and shake hands and, you know, none of that. So that's what's weird to me. Because I miss that. I love connecting with people. Yeah, you must feel. I mean, and also you do meet and greets after, right? You'll you'll yeah. hang out a bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I love that part. Like I love like some of my favorite experiences have been little shy little kids that are like, you know, five or six, and they'll come up and be like, "How do you play guitar?" And like, can I take my picture with you? And you're just like, "Yes, yes, you can. I love you. I love this." Like. That's what I really miss. So should we cry on the podcast? God, I think it's good. <laughs> Thanks for depressing me, Tara. <laughs> no anxiety, no depression. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I mean, for you, also, there is the question of when will you feel comfortable mm -hmm. playing in a live setting where someone says, can I, get a, can I get a picture with you? Can I stand this close to you? And you go, maybe not that close yet. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, the whole thing is so strange now because, I mean, we had to cancel. I had 50-person uh, distance shows booked for our release, like three three different shows, and they were all going to be totally by the book. And the province actually said it was still cool to go ahead. But it just felt really weird. You know, even if the government is saying, like, yeah, it's okay, it's just like, I don't know. You know, even if we do everything right uh there's still a chance and like you know my grandpa was supposed to come to the show I'm like I don't want you know all all those kinds of things are new things that we have to think about um so I don't know I, I actually just said that to somebody recently like I don't know when I'm going to be comfortable playing in a live setting again like I did drive-in shows those were so good those are okay yeah like they were great because you no know, everybody's having a great time it's super weird when you hear them honking the horns but it's also like <laughs> this is fun and you can hear people's voices and you can see people's faces and um there there is that connection still 
even though it's like much wider and outside. Um, but yeah, in person, man, I don't know. I know. Yeah. I know because, because that connection is really important. Yeah. Um, what about um, in terms of, and this is, again, this is even more personal territory, but what about in terms of like making a living? Is there, is there anxiety about that? Because you, you really are on the road a lot. Yeah. Um, so do you feel, is there, has there been a moment where you sort of go, that's, that's, how I, that's how I make my money and that's not there right now. Is that concerning for you and how are you getting your head around that? Yeah, I mean, I think I was more concerned at the beginning of the pandemic, which is strange because at that time, the timeline seemed like, oh, yeah, we'll be back to it by like September. Um, and now we're looking at, you know, September 2021. Uh, if that, you know, we don't know what's what's happening with the vaccine and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it is a little bit scary, but I mean, I'm not in the UK like I have friends in the UK. There's no support programs for people who are out of work, like none at all. So I feel so lucky to live in Canada because at least they're kind of helping us a little bit, like helping people. They're not necessarily helping venues yet, mm. um, but I do feel like they, I think they're kind of working on it, like how to support our venues. Because if we, you know, the whole industry will die if we don't have places to play. It's not just about <laughs> musicians, but it's about like the crew. It's about the talent bookers and like the promoters like all of the people, like the sound people, everybody who's necessary for putting on a show, like even the people who put up the posters, like all of those people are totally screwed right now. Yeah. Um, so I think that's even scarier, like, cause I can still do a live stream if I want, but you know, for example, a sound person, they might not get hired to do somebody's live stream at home. So like they're really in a tough spot. So I actually feel really good about where I'm at, but um, I don't feel good when I think about other people who are struggling. Yeah. More, you know, and that's right. not even, of course, that doesn't even scratch the surface of like human suffering. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that. <laughs> it's election day too. La, la, la. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, in spite of there's not a lot going on, but there's also a lot going on with the, mm -hmm. a lot knowing, you know, not going Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of your your Canadian, your fellow Canadian musicians, are you having therapeutic conversations with fellow artists and is it helping? Oh, totally. I mean, one thing that I've been sort of pivoting towards is more songwriting, which I've never done uh, virtually, but now that's kind of what we're doing. So like yesterday I wrote with two people in Nashville um, and that's like a new way of of kind of keeping the creative stuff flowing and also, you know, if one of those songs goes to radio, then you're in luck uh, and then you get some extra royalty payments or whatever. Um, but generally, yeah, I've had encouraging and totally discouraging con uh, conversations. But I think for the most part, like everybody here supports each other. Like uh, after I did my live stream, I talked to a bunch of friends. They reached out asking like, how did you do this? Or how did you do this? Or what would you change? Or, and I kind of gave them uh, the rundown. Um, to kind of help out like and that's it's like peer it's not peer mentorship because we're not mentoring each other it's just like you know community um, so I feel lucky in Canada to have that but I know like a ton of friends in the states and I've connected with my buds in Australia yeah UK like all over the world like we're all kind of in it together and all the musicians and stuff I know that's not a saying we're supposed to say anymore <laughs> <laughs> well but the I, musicians are for sure yeah 
<laughs> I've known you now for two podcasts and you seem like a good collaborator. You seem like somebody who, who can collaborate really well, who mm-hmm. can work well with others. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that perception true? Oh man. I remember one time I had to, I was the uh, band leader for uh, this guy, Zalsa Soko, who's an amazing uh, Cora player. And the Cora is in the key of D minor. It was like this world music collaboration. And then there was another guy with a sitar and it's in like D sharp, something super weird. And I had to figure out how we were all going to play together. And one of the people wasn't happy about it. And I made it happen. <laughs> how did so, you navigate those tricky waters? It was pretty intense. Like one of the guys, the, uh, the sitar player was actually reaching over to Zal's instrument and like trying to tune it, which was like, crazy like you don't you know that's just not something that you would do like you don't like reach over to someone's instrument and tune it without their consent especially when it's like a beautiful african like legendary instrument you just don't do that um so yeah i would say like my energy is uh i'm a great like energy uh what would you call it director i was gonna say commander but we can go with director (laughs) (laughs) you went up a rank can you tell i'm a leo hello (laughs) i was going to say emperor yeah (laughs) empress 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 yes empress (laughs) but yeah so i i i love doing that and i mean another another thing that's happened since we last chatted i started producing records um which has been amazing i didn't realize that that's what i love to do and that's what i was doing in the studio a lot of times um like when i made records with gus van gogh I'd be like, how about this harmony or how about this keyboard part? Or how about, you know, I had all these different ideas that he was so wonderful about letting me follow through on. Um, But when I went into the studio with another band, they were bugging me to produce them. And I was like, I don't do that. And they're like, come on to Edmonton, we'll pay you. And I'm like, I don't, I really don't, I'm not into this. And then I get there and I'm like, you do this, you do this, you're playing this instrument. This is what's happening. You lay on the floor. Okay. (laughs) Like, It was like, so awesome. The band's called Ayla Brooke. Um, and the sound men it's five sound people <laughs> who play oh, that's that. so cool it's roots rock it's so cool and it's such a cool record um but i mean that experience i was like whoa this is what i love um and so i've, I've been continually doing that when people ask but only when people ask because i don't well like... it'd be weird if nobody asked and you just walked in the studio and said i'm producing you hello i am the empress and i'll be producing your record right. moving on <laughs> I know you didn't ask, but you will also be paying. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you, did you, um, when you started doing that, did you find that it made you listen to music in a different way? Like, in other words, did it change the way your ear responds to new stuff? Absolutely. And I mean, when we made the newest record, I hired Jay Newland to produce it. Um, but I knew at a certain point, I was also like, you know, not letting go in some areas. I'm like, okay, the drum sound has to be like more like this or, you know, and I would listen and and give him feedback, which I never would have done in a zillion years about drum sounds. Like I do not care, but now I do. Um, And those are things that obviously audiophiles listen for. Like, sure. So I'm sort of becoming a crazy audiophile, which I dig. Like, why not? At this point in my life, I'm ready. Right, (laughs) right. And, and doesn't also then that experience when you bring it back to your own music, mm-hmm. doesn't that also augment your your sound in a way that it wouldn't have had you not been doing production? 
Oh, totally. I mean, I think um, there's a song called Ramblin' Rose on the new record. And I, I just like took out everything during the mixing process. I was like, nope, everything we track, just take it out of verse one, take it out of verse two. So there's nothing happening really. Um, but that's how I wanted it. Because I'm now keen to hear um, what's not there, what's not being played. Like, I want to leave so much space. And I, I wanted the, you know, I had Lester Snell playing keyboards and he played one of the coolest things ever in that verse. But I was like, well, we don't really need it. And I, I was a fan of kind of trimming the fat and like just making sure that the song itself and my voice could be at the center, which it, it, I wasn't ready to be heard before. Like I wasn't ready. I also was singing like in my low natural voice. Like I love Nina Simone. She's always given me so much courage to speak and sing with like my actual voice. Whereas on previous records, I'm like, why don't I just kind of try and sing like this, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, I think there's such like a rich kind of quality, especially with the mic we used. I mean, we used the number nine mic, which is like the Al Green microphone that he did all his records uh, into. It's like a crazy legendary microphone. Um, but yeah, like the, the quality and like the roundness of my voice, it's like very real. Uh, and I really enjoyed being able to put that on a record and go like, here you go. I don't know what's going to happen, but here it is. And, you know, it's like, it's very real and raw and uh sort of unproduced even though we did <laughs> yeah right you produce yeah. it to sound unproduced yeah exactly dude meta this is, <laughs> this is so cool totally meta. well and also there there is um i love what you said about space because because mm. because space is its own like in other words there there is a presence in the absence of something right um yeah so, so we, have you found that you're more comfortable now with space in sonic space that, than you would have been five years ago? Yeah, I mean, and I mean that that song specifically, Ramblin' Rose, it came to me in a dream. Like my my grandma had just passed away, and my grandpa, who is like unapologetically kind of a curmudgeon, um, he sang me this this whole chorus in a dream, and like I woke up, I wrote it down whatever the song happens. It's the weird, the weirdest chord structure. I would never use it. Um, but I think that whole happening, like that whole experience, you know, I mean, dreams are, are sort of in the same space, you know, where it's like there, uh, there's presence in the absence, that kind of thing. Yeah. And like my grandmother didn't come to me in the dream, but I wrote the song about her. So it's like, she's there in those spaces. That's how I feel about it. I know that's like super heavy and <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. I mean I, I mean, I love hearing that. I also love that you were able to bring something back from a dream. Like you were able to, to sort of translate it from mm -hmm. the dream world into the actual world. Yeah. And I mean, it's never happened to me that way before, especially with the chords. Cause again, it's like, it's A major, C sharp minor. I'm, are you writing this down for your future? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think people want to know this though. And B minor, like it's a weird chord progression for me especially I don't use those chords um, but it is exactly what I heard in the dream and again my grandfather is not a singer <laughs> so it, it was like you know I don't know what was going on in my subconscious at the time but I'm, I'm happy to, to be able to point that from that world I grew up like a flower in the wrong place and 
gotten into this into lucid dreaming i, I haven't but i'm very interested in it yeah like i i think i was super into it for a while like you basically just wake up and write down whatever happened and then eventually um you start being more conscious of like when you're falling asleep and going into a dream um but it's so rare that you can actually like be cognizant of like what happened and like you know um if there's writing in your dream you can rarely read it like there's so many interesting facets um, to dreams and once we learn more about them it's like i mean that that world is so interesting we can do whatever we want in the dream world right right like we can be whoever we want we can do whatever we want it's kind of comforting during a pandemic and it's free it, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> listen figure out a way to live stream it and i think you got something dude dream stream <laughs> 
Dream stream. <laughs> Tara Light puts dream stream. I'm um, into it. How is your, just in terms of, because you, you know, there's more free time, do you feel that you, now, in other words, like when you're busy, you go, boy, if I had some free time, I would do these things. Now you have this free time. Are you, do you feel almost like guilty if you're not practicing as much as you think you should? Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, I should probably be really working at it eight hours a day instead of eight minutes. Or, so what, what is your relationship to your instrument during a pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I've always put on pressure to myself, especially when I stopped working. Like, uh, I wasn't ever nine to five. I was a dog walker and a music teacher before I was, you know, touring for my living. Um, but I mean, in those days, I would still put pressure on myself. Like, oh, let's rehearse for eight hours today as a band. And then we'll be like so great for the tour. We never did it. No one wants to do that. Um, and likewise, I always put pressure on myself to practice but I also never do I'm like not I wish I could say I was a musician who like uh practiced before anything but I I don't and I think it's because I I worked so hard on it when I was a kid you know like I I started playing at 12 and until I was 18 I I put in my 10,000 hours like for sure um so I learned a lot then and now I just learned from playing like from those live interactions that's my that's where I learned the most. Like when the, you know, there's a guitar solo section that's quite open in our set. I've learned so much about playing guitar from that, like, you know, two minute section. Cause every time I'm just like, well, where else can I go? You know, and you find new things every time. Um, but I'm certain that I wish I would practice more. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, it's interesting to hear that there's an improvisational element when you're on stage like uh, that's interesting to hear that so you'll you and i'm not a musician so when you start to go where else can i go maybe i'll go here does does the band are they're obviously aware like oh she's just made a left turn do they follow you what, what do they do like how do they how do they compensate yeah they do and i mean i'm lucky to have a fantastic band i always have great players with me like wherever we are um but one of the jokes is kind of like you know, the set list will always just be, uh, or whatever whatever Tara tells you about what's going to happen during the set is exactly what she thinks is going to happen, but then it will change, guaranteed. The only thing you can know about the set list is that it will change. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and same with, like, parts, you know, if I want to go over an intro again, I'll just kind of signal. I think there there's a thing that I missed when I was a kid, especially from... Um, I think from being a woman and like kind of feeling like I didn't belong as a guitar player for a long time. Um, I, I didn't pay attention to becoming a band leader at that time. And that's what I always have been, but I didn't know how to direct. Um, so now I'm more conscious of it and I'm more able to direct the guys where we're going. Like I saw Bonnie Raitt. Oh my God. That woman is in control. Like I love what she does but she also lets the band do whatever they want like and that's kind of where there's like a beautiful line that you can find um it's kind of the space between like okay knowing this is loosely what we're gonna do but we're all good enough to come together with this familiar material to make something interesting happen every night because like i don't want to play it the same way every night right <laughs> you know right. like i i mean if i was a novelist i'm sure i'd want my book to remain the same but songs are not are not books like we can it's sound like it just goes into the air it's it's 
we can do whatever we want with it again. And I think that's a, a privilege and an opportunity. And is there something that you could, that you learn from Bonnie in terms of, cause she's sort of like, I mean, she's like the Dean, right? She's like, you know, but she, but she does it in a really subtle way where she is such a controlled figure, but, mm. but she's stately. And so you see her up there and you go, she's not doing much, but she's also doing everything. Yeah. About, I mean, she is doing a lot, but she's not in terms of her um, physicality. She's not running around the stage and doing, but she's so quietly commanding. Um, yeah. It's an, it's an incredible, it's an incredible uh, way to watch somebody perform. Oh yeah. Like when I saw her, um, I actually got stood up that night. So hearing her, I was beside the only empty seat in like the whole big Hamilton <laughs> auditorium. I was so mad. Um, <laughs> and I'd never been stood up. So that was my first experience. And she's like, you know, I only write songs when I'm angry. And this one's about, you know, some, whoever it was, whatever guy. And I felt like so seen by her. And then later on in the show, you're just like, you know, watching all these insane musicians who have played with her forever. And she just goes uh, during a solo and goes and sits down on the state on the drum riser and just like kind of does this to the keyboard player, like just motions him with her chin. He just does like a five minute solo. She sits on the stage, doesn't even play, just like folds her hand over her guitar. <laughs> it was like the most power move I've ever seen. She's like, that's all she needs to do. Just like wag her chin at somebody and they're, right. they're going to play for five minutes. It's so, it's so subtle, but it's so, she's such an authority. Yeah. Like, and, and the guys, the other thing that I love about it, and this is what's always been important to me, as soon as I learned about going on the road, I'm like, it's not just me. It's the people around me that are important, that are supporting me. We're like a team. And like, you know, growing up playing basketball, I know like if one person's not doing their job, the rest of people, the rest of the people are screwed. Um, so for me, it's the same. I'm like, I pay attention to everyone who's at the show and like, make sure they're getting what they need and that they feel happy. Like, I don't want people kind of struggling through something. I want to have fun. Like, that's what music is, too. Um, so the, the best part about Bonnie is that, of course, her band, you can feel the love. You know, you just feel it emanating off them. They're like, this is great. I got a great job. I love her. I love playing these tunes, even though they've been doing it for like 25 years, 30 years, however long they've been with her, you know? pretty wild has, has she always been one of your your favorites i mean do you do you just adore her yeah oh for sure i mean i have from from a young age i actually went through a period like i'm sure every other uh young woman does where you feel kind of uncertain i don't think it's happening now with young women i think there's a lot of support and um there's no competition anymore but I remember when I was really young, I was like, well, can she actually play? Or like, who's playing on these records? Like, I was very confused um, because it's not something that I had ever heard. And then seeing her live for the first time, I'm like, oh, it's her. Like, <laughs> oh, oh my God, it's her. She was, she was opening for James Taylor. It was like a crime, I thought. It was very interesting. Um, anyway, James Taylor came out for her last song and I don't even think she let him solo. He was just like standing there, you know, <laughs> with an acoustic guitar. You're like, what are you doing up there, James? Just, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's what <laughs> he does. 
I know, it was just hanging out. And she just took her solos and it was like, wow, there's another power move. Hey, James Taylor, you want to stand up here and play an E chord for a little while? Like that, you know, she's everything to me. Yeah, she, she's the queen, I would say. You talked about being seen, feeling seen by her. And mm. I want to talk to you about how it feels to be seen by a crowd. When did you become comfortable with the gaze of that many people because that is a whole other element where you go i want you know i want to be a musician i want to be a touring musician i want to make a living doing this and then you get on stage and you go oh people will be staring at me for an hour and a half like were you always cool with that and or has how has that been for you and how has that developed through the years yeah i mean i had uh sorry i live downtown can you hear that wonderful ambulance um yeah, so when I did my first, I did an arena tour with Blue Rodeo or like a large, you know, big venues um, across Canada. And that was at the very beginning of my kind of touring career. And I had to talk to a bunch of friends before I went. I'm like, what am I, what am I going to do? Because I was so freaked out. Like I'd been playing clubs, like maybe max, like I'd open for somebody at like maybe a thousand cap. Um, and the biggest show of that tour was like 13,000. So that was a big jump for me. Um, and one of the tricks my friend told me to do was to look at the exit sign, like find one of the red exit signs at the back of the room, wherever it is, no matter how, even if it's like a hockey arena, just look at the exit sign. Um, and so that's what I did. But then I, I like continued to do it at festivals too, because I was so scared. Like, and it was, it was also hard because I was trying to play lead guitar and sing a lead vocal. Yeah. So I'm like concentrating on that and like seeing people that are going like, wah, in the front row. Like it was, it was, uh, I want to say discombobulating. Like just, it, it didn't actually help me connect. Um, whereas na after that tour, I felt a lot, a lot better about it. And, uh, and then I, of course, as, as I've grown to do bigger headline shows by myself, that's when I really started like feeling comfortable when, when I knew that people were there for me and they were stoked to see me and they like could sing the words. And I mean, that happened at those other shows too sometimes, but it wasn't like a, a crowd of people just there to see us play. And that's when I really started feeling like, okay, they want to be here. Uh, they want to see me and like, this is cool, but <laughs> I don't know if everybody's response is that way. I don't know. Well, I mean, are you, because I mean, you don't strike me as an introvert, but but did you have to sort of think like, oh, am I a performative person or am I more of an introvert? And how did you, did you sort of come to terms with who who you are in that setting? Yeah, I mean, one, one of the greatest shows that I saw around the time I was playing a bunch of my first festivals, uh, it was at the Regina Folk Festival in Regina. <laughs> Surprise. Um, but I saw <laughs> Betty, Betty Levette. Uh. Um, and it was outdoors. I don't know how many, it, it was in a big park downtown. I don't know how many people were there, but she went, uh, off mic and sang an entire song, like, and held these notes and you could hear it at the back. Like it was insane. I'm like, who is this woman? Um, and then, so I'm standing side stage, like after the show, cause I'm like, oh my God, I get to watch Betty Levette from the side stage. Like, this is amazing. And she came out off stage, and it was almost like she was a boxer. Like her husband, I think it was her husband anyway. I'm making an assumption, um, but like just like draped her in this coat. She looked like a boxer. Like she was just like taking, you know, just totally 
de-energized um, from that performance. And I think I realize that I'm a lot like that too. Like I put everything onto the stage and then after I come off and I'm like exhausted. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a combo because it's like extrovert, sure. But then after the show, I'm like, I need to, you know, just re recuperate, like be in my own space. Um, and, and that was so nice to see, to see the two sides of Betty, because I understood that she's not always, you know, she's not always on and you don't have to be because it, it would be impossible for anyone. Right. You know? Well, I mean, when you, when you play a show and then you do a meet and greet, you yeah. still have to sp- kind of stay in that space of being on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I do love that. And I, I, it hasn't changed for me. I'm so glad I remember like a tour opening for somebody like five years ago and they were like, Oh, you still do meet and greets. I'm like, yeah, like, I love it. I love meeting people. Um, and it hasn't changed for me. So that, that feels nice. If it does, maybe it will. I don't know. Yeah. But then in, in the back of your brain, you're like, I do need to, when this is over, I need, I need some silence. Right? Yeah. Yes. And silence is such a huge thing that we don't ever get on the road. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, we're always listening to something in the van. Sometimes we don't. And that's kind of refreshing, but um, we love listening to podcasts now. That's our new thing. Well, is your, is your antenna always up? Are you always sort of thinking about composition? In other words, even unconsciously, are you always, are you sort of like honing in on possibilities for songs without you even realizing it or or do you even think about that yeah I do for sure I mean especially uh at the beginning of the pandemic I was getting songs in the middle of the night so like just in the window again we're going back to dream dream streams Um, (laughs) but I would uh get an idea like as I was falling asleep and it wasn't of course when we're creative people it's like never annoying to get an idea because they can be wonderful and they can carry us through like our whole lives. Um, but so I was having to get up and like go to the living room and like play guitar and like get ideas out at like whatever time it was. Um, and it's the time when you're the most tired. So I, I don't know what that says about, you know, my creative process. I think it was like, I probably wasn't letting go enough when I was conscious, like in the daytime to create. Um, so once the pressure's off and you're falling asleep, you're like, okay, I can, I can kind of get my ideas out now. Um, but that, the place I told you about the killer Island, peace Island. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I finished, it was a crazy, like a bolt of lightning. Uh, basically I sat on the deck of this space with all these trees around and hummingbirds and all these beautiful, uh, you know, animals everywhere, the lake, et cetera. And I finished six songs in like two and a half hours. Like just a lot of them were bits and pieces. Um, but I, I cobbled everything together at, on that trip. And that's another reason it was such a big, a big deal for me creatively. Uh, Cause it just, it tied up all of the, all the things I'd been wanting to write. It's also true. I've heard that being around water is mm-hmm. a very a positive thing. It's all, it makes people more ambitious and creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not surprised by that. I feel connected to water all the time. Like, I love, like, for example, on the release show live stream that we did, I was late for the sound check because I was walking down to the water in Hamilton. <laughs> so I was like, well, I need to see the water today. That's important to me. I'm like showing up late to sound check. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said about the idea how it's never annoying to get an idea. Um, yeah. 
it's so fortunate to be able to sort of like, you know, have this divining rod where it, it comes to you. Mm -hmm. But sometimes those ideas, they don't work. And are you better at recognizing like, oh, I think it, I'm not going to chase this one any further. It's probably not going to go anywhere. Or, mm -hmm. and, and when you do that, is it, it's always a little heartbreaking when you go, oh, this, this one's not going to make it. Yeah. Right. Are you, how are you with that process now? Well, I think that like the current uh, scape of like technology and everything that we have uh, to access and like to support our creative endeavors, like for musicians, a lot of us use voice memos or like really easy things to record our, idea our ideas. So I think, you know, for me, even if I put it down at that moment, there is a security blanket of knowing that I have it recorded. And I know like a lot of people, um, other people are the opposite where they're like, if I can't remember it, it's not a good idea. Um, and I won't chase it, you know, but for me, I mean, I'm happy to record each idea that I get, even if it's just on my phone or whatever. Um, but yeah, the secure, the security blanket does actually make me question like whether it's, whether it's healthy to do it that way or whether it's better just to let ideas go. Cause I'm, I know for this record, I had writer writer's block like in a big way. And I just realized like doing an interview where somebody asked me a question. Um, and I realized that it was a, probably related to the fact that I didn't let myself listen to music or absorb any, I didn't have any input coming to me because I didn't want it to influence what I was doing. Mm. So I wasn't listening to anything. I wasn't talking to my friends. I wasn't hanging out with my family. I was like, I'm going to do this uh, writing process. Like I'm just going to go into it. It's not the same as practicing, but it, I put a lot of pressure on myself to create something new, exciting, something authentic. Um, and, and I wasn't having any input come in. I was just trying to put something out, but it's, that's not how it works. And I just realized that like, we have to have experiences to write from. Like we have to have inspiration from outside. Like that's, that's how we get it. It doesn't just show up. It's because you've worked on something. It's because you've learned something. It's because you've heard something. Um, so that was a big, big discovery for me. And also, isn't it true that if your intention is for something to be authentic, it is by definition, it can't be authentic anymore. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Like, and that makes total sense. Like, and as soon as I let that go, it all, it all showed up. All the songs showed up at once again, just like the lightning rod thing we were right. talking about. Um, but I mean, when I was sitting in Hamilton trying to write, it was like, Oh my God, it was just, it was brutal. I was like categorizing my voice memos by like key and tempo. It was the most boring thing I've ever done. It was like I was doing music accounting, but like with sounds, it was horrible. Yeah, so I'm never doing that again. <laughs> that process is very administrative. And I think that if you, if you think like, it's like saying, I'm going to consciously try to write unconsciously. And it's yeah. like, that won't work. I know. And I, I had had a conversation uh, with a friend just before and he's like, you just gotta, you know, make the best music that you can do. Create your best, most authentic work. And I'm like very inspired by this person. I'm like, okay, this is a good idea. So I write that down, put that on the wall. And then it's like, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I feel, you know, it made me feel weird about the whole thing. Um, so it was, man, it was good when I let it go. And I've only figured that out during uh, like post-release when I've been doing interviews and talking to people about it. Cause I didn't, I didn't question what happened. I just went like, 
you know, good. I have the songs moving on. <laughs> right. Um, but post-release, it's been more like, oh, why did it happen that way? And like, how did it all kind of shake out over time? And now I have some reflection time. I realized that it was all about uh, the lack of, of input that I was allowing myself to have, you know? Crazy, crazy. Writers do crazy things. I know. And the thing is, your friend is right. I mean, like yeah. what they said is 100% correct, but it's also yeah. like, it's not a choice that you can really make. You have to just be open to letting it happen, right? Yeah. And I mean, I, uh, I've been, I've been talked to about this as well, like, um, because a lot of my songs do come from like direct kind of inspiration, um, where they will happen quickly and, and they're just kind of finished. Uh, like love you. So I wrote it on the piano. I took a video of it to send to someone and, um, that was the song. It was all done. The lyrics, like just within, you know, half an hour or however long it took, um, but someone told me like, oh, well, that doesn't tell people how much work you put into it because that's not, you know, that's not encouraging to other people or whatever. And it's like, well, I, I've done so much work in my life to allow myself to become inspired that way and like allow ideas to come and then give them attention. Like I actually have done a lot of work prior to this to allow them to happen quickly. And so I realized that as well. Like even if songs are happening quickly and they're good, just like that's okay. Like we don't have to demonize ourselves because we're getting, getting more ideas or getting better ideas or whatever, you know? And I think the thing that people don't understand sometimes is that if you write a song in 15 minutes, that's still work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And like the work that you've done before, again, like applies, like, you know, um, yeah, it is still work. You're right. You always make me feel better. <laughs> I think that's where we're going to end the podcast then, Tara. Amazing. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> well, I, look, I'm so happy to talk to you again. And I've always been so grateful to you for, for believing in our show and coming on it early on. So I'm, I'm, uh, you hold a special place in my heart, Tara Lightfoot. Yay. And you in mine. Tara Lightfoot. I love her. She's so great. So fun to talk to. And uh, we'll get her back on the show for a third time. And then we'll know that we're really in the uh, we're doing something right zone. Uh, Tara's new album, Consider the Speed. Go get it. TaraLightfoot.com is her website. Find out what's going on with her and, um, you know, keep tabs on her. She's busy and there's always cool stuff happening with Tara Lightfoot. Now, I'm not as cool as Tara, but there are some cool things happening with me as well. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening. Or, you know, you can just listen to the podcast because God knows if anything happens, I talk about it here. Stereo Embers of the podcast is available, by the way, on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. You know, tell all your friends. Then tell your friends to subscribe and leave us a rating and tell them to Tell their friends, you see where this is going. It's all one big pyramid marketing scheme. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Or you can just email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Visit Bombshell Radio online at BombshellRadio.com. I think that's all the businessy stuff. Have I covered it all? I think so. All right. If I missed anything, uh, I'll get it next time. 
Let's close the show with a longer listen to Tara Lightfoot's Called Out Your Name from the album Consider the Speed. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. Radio.